This is the Otaku Nate Show, episode 11, Hinamatsuri. Ravioli, ravioli, don't lose the psychic loli. fans, Otaku Nate here with another installment of the Otaku Nate Show, the anime podcast where we talk about anime that we want to talk about. Joining me this week is Justin Young, hey. and William, aka Lord Crab, Anzu is best girl, and joining me we've got a, kind of a special guest, this is one of the first times that I've had one of my real life friends on the show. But now you're gonna get to meet him. Say hello, real life friend. Hi, I'm Chris. Nice to nice to be here. And today we are going to be talking about Hinamatsuri, a show from 2018 by Studio Feel. The show's adapted from a manga by Masao Otake that actually just ended. So this review's kind of timely. It ended after 18 or 19 volumes. I don't want to check because I don't want to disturb this recording. The adaptation was directed by Kei Oikawa, whose other notable directorial credits are Outbreak Company, Seasons 2 and 3 of My Teen Romantic Comedy, Snafu, and also that same year, he directed everybody's favorite racing anime, Uma Musume Pretty Derby. Now that I didn't know. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, the anime that, for some reason, someone thought... Hey, you know what would be cool? Let's take some famous racehorses and just waifu them up. <laughs> well, what's funny about that show? It was actually reasonably popular in my home state of Maryland when it came out. And I don't know what uh, I can figure out why. I live near a horse racing track. Uh, the show's writer was Keitaro Ochi. He's written a few episodes of things like Aikatsu... Yokai Watch. He was the writer for La Corda Oro, and his most famous work, he wrote both seasons of the quintessential quintuplets. So the premise of Hina Matsuri is that it's about a member of the Yakuza by the name of Kiryu Kazuma, known as the Dragon of Dojima. One day, he's just going about doing Yakuza things when he gets a call from the office, and when he comes there, he finds out that the head of the family was murdered by his longtime friend Nishiki, and... Oh, wait. This is wrong premise um who wants to read the premise for me i'm gonna bridge it i'm just gonna bridge the tv tropes version here we go so you got a guy named yoshifumi nita who is a um tv trope describes him as an up-and-coming member of the yakuza who is chilling in his apartment one day when a futuristic male cocoon just ends up in his living room he's like what the hell is this? A giant then, metal gachapon capsule. Yep. And then it just, it opens up to reveal a naked upon arrival teenage girl named Hina, who has psychokinetic powers and, and ends up breaking most of the contents of his apartment because she needs to use them regularly or they'll just break the entire world. Which they only bring up once in the show. Unfortunately. We'll talk about that when we uh, discuss the show proper. And we got more weird stuff and weird people showing up. We got teenage girls doing very not teenage girl stuff. And it's absolutely hilarious. And that... Is Hina Matsuri, the world's weirdest accidental father story. <laughs> the courtship of Hina's father. Thank you, Justin. So with the premise out of the way, we talk about our initial impressions of it. And, and the reason I have Chris on here is because he introduced me to the series. So, Chris, where did you first hear of Hina Matsuri and what were your initial impressions? Um, honestly, I just kind of found it 
searching through seasonal stuff on Crunchyroll whenever that this was like the current season. I believe this was spring of 2018. Yeah, and I was looking for just you know, the, you have you always have like the really popular shows that everyone's watching at the time and then they're the ones that were kind of off to the side. I forget how I landed on this, but it it's just I watched the first episode and the humor of it just really got me and i was like oh my god i need to show this to all sorts of people this is just so funny and each episode just gets more and more kind of ridiculous <laughs> so yeah that was that was kind of what got me into it you make an interesting point about the popular stuff being up front and then you look through the seasons and you find these lesser known or more obscure shows that's sort of been my philosophy as an anime fan, and that is usually the best anime stuff out there isn't necessarily what's popular. I learned that lesson when I decided to watch Fullmetal Panic over Fullmetal Alchemist. And that is a decision I do not regret to this day, because Fullmetal Panic is a great series. So that leads to my first impressions of the show, because Chris showed this to me on an anime night. And I had never heard of Hinamatsuri either. And I was curious as to just what this show was and what it was about. I went in completely blind, and what I saw utterly amused the shit out of me. I did not know what to expect, but what I got was perhaps one of the most overlooked and one of the best shows from all of 2018, because if you didn't follow seasonal anime, 2018 was a really strong year for anime. Indeed it was. I would say it's up there with 2015 and 2016 for best year of the 2010s in anime. Because we got a lot of stuff that year and we'll talk about some of its competition when we look at what else came out that year. But Hinamatsuri managed to stand out in a crowd. And I feel that a lot of more people should watch this show. But Justin, what were your initial impressions of Hinamatsuri? Let's see, first, I just found it was, it ended up at the top of both the Funimation charts and the Crunchyroll charts simultaneously, so I'm like, oh my gosh, this show must be the greatest thing ever. So, I actually, I did a little bit of research on the plot of it, basically, someone, I got the overview of, like, the manga or something from somewhere, and so, I did a little bit of research before watching it, but even then, I was just blindsided by the whole thing. I was especially wasn't ready by ready for how well written it was because it has a simple but still very weird premise, but it's it's much more than just the premise. You're like, okay, girl with psychic powers, it's been done before, right? Wrong. It just you take every convention that you've ever thought about from like say a gangster drama or even another girl with psychic power series air quotes and then you you completely throw that out the window you got japanese puns american puns most of that's in the dub but also there's a fair amount of it in the japanese if you know where to look and absolutely bug nuts writing <laughs> and character development and it's really like sitting in a roller coaster blindfolded imagine riding um What's the one at Six Flags uh, Magic Mountain out in New Jersey? The, like X2? X2, there we go. Imagine riding X2 blindfolded and no one around you is telling you that you're riding X2 until you're literally getting yeeted up the hill. <laughs> That's what Hinamatsu is. Yeeted up the hill. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wait, no, you are thinking of King Daka. Yeah, King to Ka. <laughs> but X2 is also a very trippy sort of roller coaster given what it does. Yeah, I'll stick with we'll stick with X2. It works better. William, what were your initial impressions of Hinamatsuri? For me, it was the same thing with I think it was with Justin. Like I was just hearing about the show when I believe when it was like when Funimation was just releasing um all the simulcasts and Hinamatsuri was on there. And I only watch the show just because, uh, for one reason, and this is something that I know we'll talk about much later in the podcast, but I'll just bring it up here. Uh, it's because Kyle Phillips is directing the dub, and I've always been a fan of his directing style when it comes to English dubs. And, well, that's why I watched Tina Matsuri. Uh, I've only watched two episodes back when it was airing, 
but within those two episodes, I I enjoyed it. It was a really enjoyable, fun little show, and it took me two <laughs> years, a whole two years for me to finally get back around to watching the whole show. But did you enjoy it, though? That's the thing. Yes, I did. Okay, that's what's important about this. Indeed. Because if you didn't enjoy this, we would have to boot you from the chat. Well, fuck me, am I right? <laughs> honestly, though, I do want somebody, honestly, and I'm going to do this for shows that I'm on the fence about whether I like it or don't like it. I want to have somebody on who disagrees with where I stand on a certain show. Because it's fun having debates over the merits of a show that may not be all it's cracked up to be. But let's get to discussing the show proper. And with animation, I don't really think we need to say much about it. It's a comedy. You're not watching it for the animation. But when there is animation, it's actually really damn good. Yeah. That's what I remember. See, I wasn't really paying that much attention to the animation. I was more paying attention to the dialogue and just the comedy and how it worked and the characters' interactions with one another. Like the, the anim- only animation that you really need to like focus on, I guess, is a lot of it happens when the psychic stuff is going on. And also, I don't know, just the the way in general that the characters are moving. Like on one of the episodes when they're all kind of going from the one bar to the to oh, like yes. the girly club or whatever, and oh, they're all yes. marching in the street. Yes. I, I I don't know. It, just the the way that they were all like cheering and walking down the street. The animation's pretty good when they do like utilize it. The animation for the psychic stuff, I I think, is really well handled. They could have easily just lazily dragged and dropped the objects, but the way the objects float in the air, it makes them feel like they have actual weight. Like they animated the small individual changes in how an object floats. And I feel that is subtle, but very well done. My th- That's basically my thoughts as well on it. Although, admittedly... <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly guilty of just remember the remembering writing over animation because I feel that's sort of how I am yeah, too. The writing's the main part of it. There's just certain parts that I remember from the animation. Like th- those are like pretty much the two examples that I remember for the most part. Actually, the very first scene in this anime with the the kung fu. Scene. Oh yeah, the the the, the the uh yeah the fight that, scene. When I first saw that the the fight scene. I was like, "Oh my god, this is cr- this is some crazy shit." And then it 180s com- like completely. And you're just like, "What wait, wasn't there just like a kung fu fight going on and now we're in this guy's apartment and it doesn't go back like <laughs> it doesn't go back until it doesn't it doesn't go back go to back the to last that. episode." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. That uh animation in particular too was was very good. I just wanted to mention, well, I'll just talk about the studio behind Hinamatsuri, Studio Feel. I was really surprised they made this, mainly because up until now, they're mostly known for really, I wouldn't go as far as say as most of them being like really trashy and bottom tier, but you got shows like Yosuke no Sora and Kiss Exist. That oh, they- God! Oh, oh. Well they've, yeah. well, they've come a long way since then. They have. They've done the second season of Origairu, and I've heard that Tsukiga Kirei is also pretty good. They did seasons two and three of My Romantic Comedy Snafu, as I mentioned earlier, and they also did Uma Musume Pretty Derby. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, they've definitely come a long way from actually being a serviceable animation studio. If only arms could follow in their footsteps. What are you talking about? There's quality there. Just look at the way the boobs jiggle. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what? I... It's kind of true, isn't it? <laughs> Whatever, Nate. <laughs> You do bring up interesting points, guys, when you mention that you don't really notice the animation in the show. And that's not to say the animation is bad. It's it's good for what it is, but with a comedy show, you're paying a lot more attention to the writing and the character interactions. And one thing that the show does really well, and this is carried over from the manga, great facials. The facials in the show were legendary, which I think is how it ended up on so many front pages back back in the day. The, the most famous face you're going to see in this is 
characters in utter shock with their mouth agape and their tongue hanging out. Especially, yeah. especially one character in particular that will cover later on in the podcast. But that's sort of like the default shock face for Hina Matsuri. And it's a surprisingly good one. It is. It's great. I've seen plenty of reaction images with it. One thing I will say about the animation before we go on, I love how the hair looks on a lot of these characters. Like, it has that really nice sort of plasticky sheen, and I mean plasticky sheen in a positive way. Like, in particular, Hina's. It looks like a gemstone of aquamarine. Wow, that yeah. was the first time I've heard it compared to that. I was going to compare it to a... I was actually going to compare it to a, um, a special edition liquid chrome Hot Wheels. That is a really good 600 IQ <laughs> reference there, Justin. But that's going to do it for the animation of Hinamatsuri. There's really not much I can say about the soundtrack either. It's your pretty much your standard anime soundtrack. There are some nice little tunes here and there, but I feel that with a lot of anime soundtracks nowadays, you don't really notice them unless you have a certain composer behind it, like Taku Iwasaki or Shiro Sugisu or Hiroyuki Sawano. Of course, Yoko Kano and Yuki Kaijura, too. Did any of you guys uh, pay attention to the music? Yeah, I'm guilty of not really noticing the music, except when they used it as a comedy cue. Chris? S same thing. The only one that got me, and it's it's more of, like, the ending song on, I think it's episode five or six. Oh yeah oh, at well, the very end when they they change we'll, it up from the normal one we'll I, get I don't to that say what it is but yeah that's another thing i'll comment on about the sound or just the music the opening and ending theme songs were pretty good uh, I, i'm definitely adding them to my uh playlists my anime yeah, openings playlist that is now up to 312 songs and ever growing still of course, I'm just going to bore you all by saying that the composer for this was Yasuhiro Miwa. He did the music for Yuru Yuri, Minami K, Gabriel Dropout, and the anime series about everybody's favorite piece of trash, Umaru-chan. He basically just does slice of life <laughs> anime. Pretty much. You don't normally notice music in slice of life anime, because again, you're just paying attention to the characters and their interactions. For some reason, the only slice of life anime I remember for the music is Hitamari's Sketch, and that's just because it matches its laid back yet urban setting really well. Maybe that's just me, but that's how I remember Hitamari's Sketch for. I'll give you one that I remember the music from, and it's a really crappy choice. Uh -oh. Oh, oh boy. Super Sonico the animation. Wow. Yep. It wasn't that bad. I've seen way worse. I've only I only saw the first episode and that was it. I may cover it at some later point, but even though I will say that the show isn't great, I'm willing to go up to bat for it. But we're getting off track here. So, let's talk voice actors now. I watched the show subbed and this is the part where I go through all the seiyuu and their notable roles. Hina is voiced by Takako Tanaka. She's a relative newcomer to the world of anime voice acting. Her roles, there's not really much of note in her resume, but if you know her for anything else, she is Annette in Fire Emblem Three Houses. The one who sings, first for dinner, it's a cake and then a steak, and I don't know the words. I uh, have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, I guess I'm the only one here who's played Fire Emblem Three Houses. I think so. I'm, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Nita is voiced by Yoshiki Nakajima. Uh, Justin, he is Lichtbach in Plunderer. Yep. No way. Anzu is voiced by Rie Murakawa, who was Costanza in Little Witch Academia. She was Ram in ReZero. And her most famous role, she's Bubble Girl in My Hero Academia. Wow. That f she's been in most of my favorite shows of, like, the uh, 2010s, of the 2010s. Speaking of uh, shows from the 2010s, Utako is voiced by Yoko Hikasa, who is Rius Gremory in High School DxD, Lofter Franklin in Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans, Maria Kadenzavna Eve in Symphogear, and she is the Japanese voice of Vice Shini in Ruby. Uh, Somehow it feels a little appropriate. 
And finally, Hitomi is voiced by Kaede Hondo, who is Maple in Bofuri, Sakura in Zombieland Saga, and Elisabetta in Welcome to Demon School, Irma-kun. One thing I will say about the Japanese side, one common word that they use in this show is Aita, which is the Japanese interjection for ouch. The way they subtitled it, they subtitle it as ouchies. Yeah. <laughs> and they and they say that in the dub as well. Yep, they do. It's perfect. <laughs> I have no complaints about that. I think it's funny. It de- yeah, it definitely adds to the comedy. I'm definitely getting Action League now flashbacks. <laughs> Cuz that's where I first heard it. <laughs> Whenever somebody got like thrown into a blender or ran over by a lawnmower, they'd always go Ouchies! Oh, <laughs> yes. oh my gosh! It's, a, it's oh, always man. funnier when a grown man saying "ouchies." <laughs> ouchies is just an inherently funny word. <laughs> I need to say that at work next time I bonk my head. I actually need to say it at work once. <laughs> I, I think they're gonna give you some really weird looks if you say it at work. Give what we know so far. Did any of you guys watch the dub? Yep. I have seen the whole show dubbed. I tried watching the dub and it just didn't click with me. I guess it's because I'm more used to the Japanese voices, but what little I saw of it just didn't really land with me. That is entirely what happened because there from what I just from what I remembered. I'm going to say it's definitely a little bit different in that, well, they clearly did a little bit of re-engineering. They punched up the script. They punched it up. Yeah, they they punched it up a a bit. And uh, it actually, I think it works, but it's definitely, it's definitely different. I would, this is not a show that I would recommend watching back and forth between the languages because you're going to get... A lot of jokes are going to feel different across the languages. Not that there's anything wrong with that. To me, my problem wasn't necessarily the script. It was the acting. And I really hate to say this because she is great in everything. But for some reason, Brina Palencia just didn't click with me as Hina. I personally disagree with that. I think she was really good as Hina. See, to me, she sounded more tired than straight up genuinely monotone like the Japanese side. I think th- I think that kind of works well for Hina. Yeah, it works. Also, why does Nita have a Brooklyn accent for for no reason? That's the bit that I was referencing. Yeah, that that was the voice that really kind of put me the, off. In the dub, he has oh, a funny. he has a Brooklyn accent in the dub. Well, yeah, he's with the Yakuza. Yeah, he does. It's actually <laughs> it's actually oh, really funny. That's pretty I, great. I, I I only watched it subbed, so I don't know. I, again, just playing devil's advocate here, for Jared Green as Nita, I I personally think he was a little bit better than the Japanese voice actor. Yeah, I came, I came to that conclusion as well, mostly because I think his, his, I think his uh, portrayal was easier to find funny, in my opinion. And also, and this is just me saying this, this is just my personal opinion, I don't really get that Yakuza vibe from Nita in the Japanese. Uh, for English, I think he sounds a lot more like a tough guy instead. I feel his voice on the Japanese side is sort of meant to showcase that even though he's a member of the Yakuza, he isn't necessarily a tough guy per se. Like, it's more of an act to him that he has in his ordinary, everyday life. Well, I could definitely, I could definitely see that as well, but... Also, him having a Brooklyn accent is giving me flashbacks to that awful Yakuza dub. Just because you're a Yakuza doesn't mean you can boss everyone around. People do just fine. Without any help from the fucking Yakuza, they make an honest living. Unlike you. You fucking Yakuza. Don't fuck with Kazuki-san. How many times I gotta tell you, I'm not Yakuza. You retarded or just deaf? Fuck you. You're not coming in here, you fucking... Asshole! <laughs> <laughs> what, you you mentioned the Yakuza game and not Joey Wheeler? Hey, don't go knocking my boy Wayne Grayson slash Vinny Penna. 
<laughs> I just assumed that would be the, f- the first thing you'd go to when it when it comes to Brooklyn accents. Yeah, that would have been a that would have been a big brain reference in my opinion. Well, Wayne slash Vinny is from New York, so he can pull that thing off flawlessly. And like, even when he's speaking naturally, you can hear that New York tinge in his voice. But with Gerard Green, it just feels like he's, I don't want to say he's trying too hard, but I don't buy it necessarily. Mm, I kind of, I actually kind of buy it because I've heard him use that voice in other Funimation anime, but mostly in the background. Interesting. But yeah, the dub, maybe I'll go back and watch it and it'll sound great. I mostly just want to hear it because Amanda Lee plays Anzu. And she was great as best girl. Mm -hmm. She absolutely tore it up. Definitely. Especially the scene where she has to sing, and I did watch that. And by sing, we mean sing as poorly as possible. Which, which considering that it's Amanda Lee, a.k.a. Amelie on YouTube, it is deliciously ironic. That got a mention in TV tropes, like the cast standout. They Mm -hmm. talk about how it's subverted because Amanda Lee is known for her singing voice, and yet here she is in the dub doing whatever Anzu does. (laughs) Oh my god. That would have been one recording session I would have... I'd probably give one of my fingers... Oh, to be a fly on the wall in that booth. Actually, actually, speaking of which, and you're going to love this, on Twitter, uh, Kyle Phillips posted a behind-the-scenes video of him and Amanda Lee together uh, recording this scene, and they were kind of hyping it up a little bit. Like I, it's been a long time since I've seen this, but it's like, oh, it's it's Amanda Lee. She's going to sound amazing in this scene as Anzu, and then you hear it and you're like, oh, I expected nothing, and I'm still let down. Are you are you fucking kidding me? I I was blown away for for all the good reasons. One more thing before about the dub before we move on. Kyle Phillips posted outtakes on his YouTube channel. And they're gone now. And I'm so mad that I should have saved that video. I cry myself. I cry myself. There was the one outtake that I remembered. Jared as Nita is talking to Hina. And he's reading the line normally. He got bombed in the booth. And bombed (laughs) in voice acting term is when a voice actor leaves a nice little surprise for a voice actor when they're doing their line reads. In this case, the scene I'm talking about, uh, Nita is asking Hina whether she wants to go to this party with him tonight, and Hina's response? Only if there's drugs. (laughs) That was amazing. Wait, 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 hold on. Wasn't that uh, Justin Cook's character? Oh, it was Justin Cook, my bad. Yeah, I remember that, like, Justin Cook's character was like, hey, you want to go to this party later, uh, uh, Hina? And (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just laughing because this this outtake was great. It's just great to hear Brina saying that tired, sleepy tone. Only if there's drugs. And Justin's like, "Whoa, what? Um, that was not in the script." Yeah, I. <laughs> it's always fun hearing stories when voice actors get bombed. Yeah. But that's going to do it for the sound aesthetic. Let's talk about the characters. And, of course, because this is a show called Hina Matsuri, we have to start with Hina. And Chris, we let you sit on the sidelines now, but you're in the game. What are your feelings about Hina? Okay, so Hina, her character literally gets dropped off to us in from God knows where uh, like some parallel earth or something to that she's from the future oh it's from the future okay i didn't know if that was explicitly explained or not she's from the future okay so she gets dropped off from the future has these psychic powers and uses them like completely selfishly she's like oh this has the most like monotone voice is just like basically like just a piece of crap 
human being. <laughs> but yeah. You grow to love her because she's a piece of crap and she's so useless by herself. And that's why everyone around her becomes the caretaker. Uh, it's first it's Nita and then Hitomi, and then it's literally, like, everyone that she interacts with becomes a caretaker, because Hina is so fucking useless. <laughs> Hina no, is... no, Chris! No, Chris! Tell us how you really feel! <laughs> no, Hina... but that's... Well, that's the thing, is, like, she's useless, but she's a great fucking character, though. Like, oh, it, I love it, Hina! It, Even it though enhances she... everyone else as well, too, because she's so useless. Hina is a useless little shit, and it's amazing. What I also love about Hina is that she actually tries to be a better person, and she usually fails badly at it, but you at least have to uh, commend her for trying for try. to do good. Yeah. Oh, no, she definitely, like, as the series goes, series goes on, she definitely grows as a person. When she first gets there, she's just like, oh, yeah, I want this. If you, if, and if Nita doesn't do what she wants, she literally starts bending his arm with, like, psychic powers. Um, threatening to end reality. Yeah, threatening to end reality because she can't control her powers. But she, she does appreciate the things that the people do for him she does try to make up for it but she just fails miserably every time so it's so funny that she's so useless it, exactly every so much of what <laughs> Tina says and does is it's just freaking gold I don't know what's a more appropriate metaphor to use for Hina well, a wet match in a dark cave <laughs> or top field dragster going down the streets of Italy. I think the phrase you're thinking of, Mr. Young, is chocolate tea kettle. Yep, there we go. <laughs> you guys bring up a great point because Hina is a worthless human being. Even though she has psychic powers, she is an absolutely useless character. She spends most of her time falling asleep in class, putting this enormous burden on Nita, Given her personality with how stoic she is, she doesn't come off as selfish, but she is incredibly selfish. Exactly. Oh yeah, incredibly. One thing I like about Hina is that she is an embodiment of one of my new favorite archetypes in anime, the stoic loli. <laughs> Just stoic loli. <laughs> you know, Renge from Non Non Biori. Kana from Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid, and one from a video game that also happens to have an anime accompanying it, Azami from the new Sakura Wars game. Oh, that's that is definitely a legendary character type title. Good job. I love deadpan characters, but like seeing, and I'm going down a really creepy path here, seeing like these young girls in this crazy world around them just be completely deadpan in any given moment. There's just something adorable about it. Like, they're shielded from this horrible world around them by their own innocence. Yeah, I guess you really expect, like, the happy-go-lucky, like, oh, everything's great, everything's gonna turn out okay, and when it's just like, okay, whatever, I don't care, feed me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a good contrast to, to the normal. Yeah, a lot of Hina's... And Hina, what makes her so great is that she has incredible timing. And by incredible timing, I mean she will say the absolute worst thing at the absolute worst moment to the wrong person. Like her interactions with Nita's boss. <laughs> when she tells him that she is old. I actually had to pause the show at one point to stop laughing so I could actually pay attention to what was going on. Like, she has absolutely no mind for the people around her. She's worrying about herself. And I mentioned earlier that she's a selfish human being, but I don't necessarily think her selfishness is intentional. It's more selfishness out of ignorance. Exactly. Yep. And as mentioned, she tries to be a better person, but as the adage goes... Just because you have superpowers doesn't mean your life is going to be any easier. And oftentimes her powers do more harm than good, as seen in when she actually tries to clean up Nita's apartment. Of course, when you talk about a stoic character with psychic powers, 
the obvious comparison people are gonna make is to Mob from Mob Psycho, but for those who say that one ripped off the other, Hinamatsuri started about a year before Mob Psycho came out. The manga, anyway. I don't, I don't even give a shit if there's like, oh, one ripped off the other. Who cares? I, I, I'd, say the, I'd say the similarities are more coincidental. The difference yeah. is that Mob is more of a selfless human being who's trying to deal with growing up and living in the adult world. Hina is completely oh. stupid and useless. Yeah. Uh, Mob, Mob is a precious cinnamon roll who has done nothing wrong. And like I've said before, Hina is a is a little shit. <laughs> exactly. I was gonna say one is actually relatable and the other is in a different universe that happens to have a camera put on it. <laughs> she's in but, her own little world and she is the president. But who cares about all that? She's funny, so that's all that matters in this in this kind of show. As horrible as a person as Hina may be when you stop and think about her, she at least makes you laugh, and that's what's important about her character. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the thing it's is, is that it, it doesn't come off as overbearing either. It's just enough. Yep. Just the right amount. And they find new ways to make you laugh at her own ignorance. Yep. That's where, and it show, definitely shows in this show's bulletproof writing. Oh, we'll, we'll break that down. But speaking of absolute garbage human beings, that brings us to Nita. <laughs> I don't know whether I should like Nita or just hate him because he flip-flops in between the two so much. This guy flip-flops more than Will Ospreay. On, it depends. Honestly, it depends on the episode. Sometimes he's trying to be just like a nice person like in general and just like go about his life and other times he's like super selfish and he just wants to be himself and Hina kind of disrupts everything his whole relationship with Hina would be worthy of him making an appearance on Mari oh, my God, yeah. oh no um, the, too the far thing that sticks out in my mind that like basically personifies their relationship is when don't, don't spoil the ending don't spoil the ending spoil it yeah, but there but that, is a very emotional scene. scene. Is just it, it's perfectly describes their relationship. Yeah, it's the way it ends is absolutely beautiful, but not in the way you think. Exactly, because the thing about Hinamatsuri, sometimes the show can be pretty wholesome. Other times the humor is kind of dark. We'll get to that about the writing. And I feel with Nita is that he is a part of an evil organization with the Yakuza, but when you boil it down, he himself is not necessarily a bad person, as seen in the episode where he gets interviewed by a TV station. That was a good one. But that yeah. was a great one. Homer Simpson on rock bottom. That's all I'll say about that bit. I compare him to... The entire rogues gallery from Dorohidoro where the group of the sorcerers that we follow may do things that may qualify them as evil, but they themselves are not bad people. It's just their actions are ignoble. That's how I feel about Nita, but the most fun that you have with Nita is just watching him strain himself over his relationship with Hina. Because one second he's just, oh god, I gotta deal with this psychic girl who's driving me up the wall. I'd throw her out my window if I could. And the next minute he's like, you know what? Hina kind of fills a void in my life and I really need to take care of her. And then it just goes back again. I mean... Of being a gangster though. One minute you're, you're trying to balance being, at least putting on a face of being a functional caring human being but also acknowledging the fact that you associate with an organization that most people okay literally everybody find detestable what is that isn't that just the life of a gangster though i mentioned the yakuza game several times earlier but i'm just waiting for kiryu kazuma to meet this guy see how he treats hina and just go dude because kiryu's <laughs> a father too so you have it rough too? You have no idea. 
Well, Kiryu, Kiryu at least cares for Haruka, and Haruka is also a decent human being. Yeah, well, but with, with Hina and Nita, you just don't know. I feel it. I feel Kiryu would have even less patience for Hina than Nita does. I even pl- I even played those games, and I can pretty much agree. Yep. So we mentioned her earlier, but now we have to talk about the best girl in the show, and that yes. is, of course, Anzu. Chris, you have anything to say about Anzu? Anzu is a perfect child, and I wish nothing for but the best for her. Uh, I second that by a bazillion. The true I second star of the show. Anzu has the most character development of any other character in the show she starts out kind of rough but then she oh my god she's just the best person you know we mentioned that both hina and nita are pretty much not so innocent people but i wrote down in my notes that we have to protect hina but now i'm not entirely sure about that i think anzu needs protecting more than hina does yeah protecting from the realities of civilized life yeah and i feel right from the get-go the show makes you feel sympathy for her for what she has to go through and we'll discuss that when she goes through the writing but the one thing i like about anzu's character her experiences with what she went through they don't go away like she doesn't forget where she came from and i really like that it shows her struggle and her growth as a character and she has the biggest arc of any character in this series it makes you wish that there was a series exclusively about her but i feel that like with hina's own uselessness it's sort of an all things in moderation kind of deal yeah well put also anzu mat series maybe maybe i would invest so much money in that i would invest so much in a spinoff with anzu because she deserves everything And we mentioned how Hina tries to do the right thing but ends up doing more harm than good. When Anzu tries to do the right thing, it's more a case of she wants to do the right thing but doesn't know what she's doing is necessarily bad. I I really like that about Anzu because she feels a lot more, not just sympathetic, but even relatable as well. You see her struggling with these kind of situations. Like, she wants to, like, do something a little bit selfish, but she also wants to... She has know if she wants to do something for herself or for someone else and you feel that she has her own little moral dilemmas and she's perhaps the most complex character in this entire show but we'll talk about that when we get to the show's writing for now let's go through the final two characters i'd written down and finally we have hitomi who is hina's classmate any thoughts on hitomi boys kind of felt bad for hitomi by the end of the show oh yeah yeah that was it chris pretty much she's a great character she's trying her best but oh my god it's just the the world keeps like she gets giving her more and more stuff to do she, she gets put into these really this i don't is... want to make it oh i'm sorry what was that i don't feel bad with spoiling what happens to her at the beginning of the show because it's not really a spoiler in my eyes um she she kind of gets all these different roles thrown on her well she starts um, as a bartender an yeah, underage bartender, middle, middle school bartender, in an adult-only bar. I remember watching that episode and going, "Oh wow, oh no!" It oh, could have oh, easily oh. taken such a dark turn for Hitomi, at least in terms of her behavior. But they play it in the most innocent way possible. It doesn't turn her alcoholic. She's just a girl who's really good at mixing drinks. And then it takes her down an even uh, more business-centric path later on in the show. I love that Hitomi's character is that she subverts the good-at-everything character. She is a jack-of-all-trades, and she is a master of all of them, and, well, the show doesn't necessarily reward her for it. At least in the not in the anime. Yeah, because, I mean, to Hitomi herself, she knows that she's just a regular middle schooler and she just wants to go back to being a regular middle schooler but she keeps meeting these really shitty adults who are like you know what let's put her through as much work related shit as possible why i don't know if you know me personally i'm a filthy capitalist but i i really feel that she's being exploited but if you read the manga she comes out on top in the end that's good Okay, that's good to know. 
Uh, well, I, I, I mean, I haven't read past the first two volumes, but I did read the TV tropes page. And if you think that the show's being mean with how it exploits Hitomi, she gets over it. That's good. Yeah, I was gonna say Hitomi's arc is kind of like the opposite of Anzu's, where it's like Anzu's is kind of more like wholesome and like everything kind of works out in the end. Hitomi, like hers, it kind of like explores like the the bleakness that is being an adult in this world. The darkness of the Japanese job market. Like she becomes a salary woman, and, and if you she know, hates it. If you know the life of what a Japanese salary man is like. Well, you think you have a crap job? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, that's not fun. I've seen Egretzko before. Exactly. Also, regarding her bartending, she's good, but she's no Ryu Sasakura. Also, she wears the most obvious disguise ever. The <laughs> most, yeah. The, the, the most obvious. Like, she doesn't even change her hair or her posture or mannerisms. She just puts on a different costume. To great comedic effect. Totally. I'm actually looking at her her uh, character image in as a bartender right now on TV show. <laughs> and yes, this is this is in my top five of worst anime disguises ever. Worse than Kenshin putting two pieces of gauze over his scar? Okay, maybe not that bad. I mean, people are looking for the guy with the giant X on his face. Hmm, it couldn't be this guy who put two bandages over his face in a very peculiar pattern. No, no, no. It's like the Clark, uh, Clark Kent situation. Well, at least when Superman becomes Clark Kent, he at least changes his posture and his mannerisms. Still, you can't help but look at Clark Kent and be like, you know what? He might be Superman. But who knows? Well, you can at least say that Clark Kent has his own reasons in-universe as to why nobody believes he's Superman. True. Maybe. Speaking of bartenders, that brings us to the last character we need to talk about, and we'll get through her briefly. There's others that we could talk about, but we'd be here all night. And we gotta talk about the main bartender, Utako. And she's kind of a bitch. You know, it's funny you say that because... I wrote down, her design reminds me of another bitch. And I mentioned arms earlier. Her design reminds me of Haruko from Makinki. Uh, oh! Same sort oh. of ponytail. Same figure, although Haruka is bustier. But Utako oh. is a better character. But that's like saying it's preferable to break your left arm than to say break your right. I hate Utako even more now. Thanks, Nate. Yeah. That explains why I got some shade. Why? Oh my gosh! That explains why I got some super shady vibes off of her at first. Yeah, with how she treats Hitomi too, especially yeah. in a major episode regarding Hitomi's growth that Chris mentioned earlier. I do like the teased romance between her and Nita, and where it goes had me rolling on the floor. Yeah, we'll get to that when we get to the writing, but I, yeah, it's, I it's it's really clever how they handled Utako and Nita's relationship, and the payoff for it is pretty surprising. Indeed. Chris, do you have anything to say about Utako? No, I was going to say... Uh pretty much all the points that you guys said already um she kind of is like also like the de facto leader of like the shopping district there and kind of like brings all the people together for like certain events that happen throughout the show and then she's also like nita's quasi love interest kind of thing but she's she's kind of a scummy person too she's kind of like nita in that respect too where she's like sometimes she's doing the right thing and it's it comes off like right and other times she's just being like a lazy piece of shit so i feel like that could describe literally almost all the characters in this show (laughs) but that's what makes this show so great and i think that's a good segue into why hinamatsuri is funny and it's really hard to review comedy anime and nobody really likes reviewing comedy anime because when you review a comedy anime you have to talk about what makes it so funny And and as the old adage from the joker goes if you have to explain the joke, there is no joke. And you also have to keep in mind that, like, it's hard to relate to certain types of comedy because what one person finds funny, the other doesn't. And if you don't find Hinamatsuri funny, it's probably not going to work out for you. But for me, Hinamatsuri is absolutely hysterical. 
And it's something that Chris mentioned. None of the characters, or at least a good chunk of the characters, are good people. But it's not like they're irredeemable. It's just, well, they kind of go back and forth. Yeah, they all they all have their moments of shittiness, but they also have their good moments, too. Like, they're all trying to be good people, but sometimes the mask falls off. Hina is incredibly selfish. Nita is a member of the Yakuza, desperately trying to raise a daughter that he does not want to be raising. Utako is an exploitative bitch. Like, the only two real innocent people in the show are Hitomi and Anzu. Who yeah, that's fair. Who end up on the bottom of stuff. Yeah, yeah, probably. The thing is that though, when the show punishes those two characters for being innocent, I don't feel that it comes off as mean-spirited. And I think what's important is that you feel sympathy for these characters at points. And I think that's Hinamatsuri's biggest strength, is its balancing act. Because yeah. you don't want a show that encourages you to point and laugh at these characters for them having rotten luck or being in a bad situation. You at least want to have some form of sympathy for it, and Hinamatsuri has buckets of sympathy to go around. That reminds me of episode four of the show, where uh, Nita just has enough and just kicks Hina out of his apartment. Oh, and, yeah. And he act he brags about this to Utiko and the others at he, the bar. He gets what he deserves. Yep, and... It's important that those who have committed the acts of evil or villainy in the show get their comeuppance. Yep. It's not just, here's a joke, okay, next scene. Here's a joke, next scene. It's more like, here's a joke, here's the consequences for said joke, and it actually lingers on through the the rest of the yeah, show. The consequences lead into other jokes, which lead to more consequences. And the yeah. thing I like is that whenever a character does something good, even if they may not be have the best intentions or if it goes awry, the show at least rewards them for it. Yep. I think that's important, too. Super important. The show is in a completely different genre, but part of the reason why I couldn't get into Tokyo Ghoul is that there doesn't seem to be any sympathetic characters on either side of the conflict. Were you watching? Use another Brina Palencia show. Like, it wants you to care for a race of people who have to cannibalize others in order to survive, or a bunch of mean-spirited government agents. And there's just no middle ground for you to take, because nobody is a good person, and a few of them come off as irredeemable, at least from what I've read of Tokyo Ghoul. I find the Tokyo Ghoul manga better than the anime. I tried reading read. the manga and I couldn't get into it, but with Hinamatsuri... It's important that you have that sympathy, otherwise your show just becomes mean-spirited. And to me, being mean-spirited is one of the worst things that a show can be. Just ask Magical Girl's side. I haven't seen that. No one? No one? No one? Good. Just ask Elfin Lead. Fine, Elfin Lead better than Magical Girl's side. Even though I don't like Elfin Lead. To each his own. Yeah. Of course, another great thing that we love about this are the character dynamics, and we see it early on. We talk about Nita's love and hate relationship with Hina, but there's also a fun relationship between Hina and Anzu that goes on in the early episodes. Their first face-off together is one of the funniest moments in the show. Yeah, the... Well, well, the I'm, I'm bleeping that out, man. Oh. Because they have this battle, and... Well, I won't say anything, but if you're expecting something on the level of Mob Psycho, think again. And I, I just love that subversion of Hinamatsuri. Like, the relationship between Hina and Anzu, how would you describe it? I can't think of a good phrase for it. It's sort of like that one friend who's friends with another person out of pity, but instead of actually trying to be nice and genuine to them, Anzu is very boastful toward Hina about how much better she is than her. Only this time, Anzu's kind of in the right. Because Anzu is genuinely a nice person. Hina, as we've established throughout this review, kind of sucks as a human being. Yeah, indeed. Anzu's just trying to live her best life. And it just all goes to shit constantly for her. Yes. Yeah, because... After her 
the altercation with her and Hina, she just has no choice but to, like, uh, steal just so that she could survive. And, uh, and that segues into something that I also like about Hina Matsuri. It deals with some dark subject matter. We already talked about Hitomi being exploited for her talents, but there's another issue that it talks about, and that's the homeless situation in Japan. Yep. And this is one of the few anime series I have seen that actually deals with the subject of homelessness in a somewhat serious manner. Of course, the most famous example of anime that deals with homelessness is Tokyo Godfathers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a great one. But in this, like, you actually get sort of a glimpse, even though it's a comedy show, you get a nice glimpse into what homelessness is like in Japan. And it turns out that the Japanese homeless actually don't have it as bad as you'd think, but they still have it pretty rough. Yeah, that's pretty much the impression I got. It's it's obviously quite rough, and the show actually does a pretty dang decent job of hammering that home. But um, it's not as... Honestly, it ain't as bad as, say, America. Obviously. Like, even before the homeless crisis that our major cities are facing, I've seen images of the Japanese homeless, and what you see in both Hinamatsuri and Tokyo Godfathers is accurate to the homelessness situation in real life in Japan. Like, these homeless people just set up these makeshift houses. They actually have some form of electricity as limited as it is. Like, they're not just bums on the street who are mentally unstable that spend most of their money on booze and liquor. Like, they're trying to be honest members of society, but they know that the odds are against them. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good way to describe it. Yeah, exactly. And I feel that the show deals with the issue as best as it can. The homeless in this show aren't portrayed as irredeemable people. They're just men who have fallen on hard times. And here's the important word. You sympathize with them. Yeah, they're just regular people like all four of us here. And the bit where they're finally written out of the show and Anzu finally gets her life in order. It's a moment that makes you feel genuine emotion. Yeah, I... I, I wasn't expecting something super, super heartwarming when I started this show, but there there we go. Mm-hmm. And I feel it's these small touches, these moments of emotion that make Hinamatsuri stand head and shoulders above its competition. One of my favorite emotional bits that we didn't talk about comes in episode 9, where we're introduced to another psychic being named Mao, who ends up on a oh. deserted island? Yeah. about Mao. So Mao is the the first character that you actually end up seeing in the show with the awesome karate scene. Oh yeah. And, and that's not so, a spoiler. It's in the first. No, episode. no, that's literally in the first seconds of the show. Um, but this is actually the first episode you properly see her, and it kind of explains like how she got here and the events of her eventually getting to that karate fight scene but mao is kind of like it's so weird because mao's whole like adventure i guess i don't even know what to call it is just like completely separated from everything else she's the hero of her own story exactly literally (laughs) and the episode where we're introduced to her proper where she's on that deserted island You know, it's fun seeing something that is just so disconnected from the rest of the show. But as it goes on, you again start feeling sad for her. That she's all by herself with no hope of getting off the island. And then she realizes that she's on an island and can easily build a boat to get off of it. And if that sounds like a spoiler, well, she has to find a way to get to Hina somehow. But I feel what's not important isn't the ending of that episode, it's the middle that I don't want to spoil, and I'm not spoiling the middle. But it, it really hits close to home. Mm-hmm. Also, are we going to talk about how absolutely trash madness this organization's, um, I should say, aim is? Quote-unquote for, I guess, where the Espers they send back in time end up? Can you run it back for me, Justin? Yeah, let me try that again. I hope you don't get into spoiler territory with this. But there's a future organization. This None of this is covered in the anime. It's all from the manga. 
but it's referenced constantly in the... Not too many spoilers, man. Yeah, but basically what I'm referencing is... I, I kind of find it amusing how terrible... They have technology to time travel back to... To send someone back in time intact, but they're... Let's just say their placement of people is not very... Counterintuitive. Exactly. It's extremely counterintuitive. It's amusing in its own janky way, but it's super counterintuitive. And again, I just love that subversion of standard tropes with Hinamatsuri. Yeah, done to perfection in this case. Do you guys have anything else that you want to say about Hinamatsuri that we may have missed? I was going to address this show getting a second season. Has it? Um, no, honest, but honestly, I kind of feel it's in a state of, it's right on the line of never say never, but also I wouldn't put money on it because manga publishers are really keen to promote what's current and new and upcoming and with Hinamatsuri's manga recently ended, I think it kind of hurts the chances that we'll see a continuation of the of the show, which is actually a bit of a shame. We'll never say never, man. I mean, Dorohedoro's manga ended in January, and we're only now getting a manga adaptation for it. And in a previous episode, Tiger and Bunny is getting a sequel 10 years after the original. Yep. Yeah. That is, yeah, I, I definitely want to say never say never, especially since the anime is really good. I hope it does, and I hope it doesn't take 10 years. Uh, well, it depends on what Studio Feel is up to. I hope it does get a second season, but I'm content with what we have. Yeah, and if there's right. one thing that I've learned with seasonal anime is that if an adaptation ends at a point that you're not happy with, just be thankful that we have it. Unless it ends at a point where you just go... Shit, what the hell was that? Cough, cough, Tenjo Tenge. <coughs> that was a part-timer. Or Gantz. Again, thank you, Gonzo! <laughs> what would we do without you? Oh, that's right. Chris, you have anything else to say? Um, no, it's just that I'm, I'm glad that you uh, picked up this series. It, it's, it's a lot of fun to talk about. It's a lot of fun to, to share the funny moments with other people. And, uh, yeah, it's it's... Really good show that uh, I hope more people will will know about and hopefully watch. And it came out in 2018, which was a phenomenal year for anime. Like, just to give you an example of the sort of shows that we got in 2018. Well, to start things off, 2018 was what I like to call the year of the remake. Because this was the year that gave us... Devilman Crybaby, the new Legend of the Galactic Heroes series, Lupin the Third Part 5, the 2018 Gegege no Kitaro series. I'm also looking up Spring 2018, which was when Hinamatsuri came out. There were a bunch of well-known stuff. Well, you obviously have My Hero Academia. There's also Steins Gate Zero. I believe that's the fourth season of Food Wars. We got There's JoJo's also... Part 5 this year. And, oh yeah, Megalobox came out that that time. Uh, yeah, that's Tokyo. another remake. And 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 unfortunately, Tokyo Ghoul Re. We also got Hanebato this year. Oh, Cells at Work was this year. Was that year too? It was. Yeah, I just looked that up. Mm -hmm. Asobe Asobase. Oh my god, that show is fucking ridiculous. It's just. It's kind of even more ridiculous than Hinamatsu. Oh, you guys want to... You guys get ready for this. A show that I previously referenced in this episode, Gretzko, also came out at the same time as did Gridman. Oh, yeah, we got we also got Zombieland Saga, A Place Further Than the Universe, Violet Evergarden, and a show that shall not be named, because don't get me started on it. But let's just say... That show caused the studio that made it a lot of regret, so much so that they went and made Gridman to apologize for it. Yep, well, but also... Oh, and uh, uh, Bunny Senpai came out that year, too. Oh, yeah, yeah Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai. Forgot about that, too. Yeah, that was a really good show. Yeah, 2018, great year for anime, and Hinamatsuri was one of those highlights. So do we have any final thoughts on Hinamatsuri before we close the show? Right on, Hinamatsuri definitely a i'm pretty sure it's pretty much a cult classic at this point but it deserves to be a mainstream anime classic comedy it's definitely up there for for me at least 
it's definitely a really good and enjoyable show that I do recommend others check out when they have some free time to kill. It's a solid comedy. It's got some good feels. Yeah, it's good shit. I will definitely say Hinamatsuri is a show that definitely has something for everybody. You've got Yakuza Intrigue, you've got Girls from Psychic Powers. As a matter of fact, Hinamatsuri is a part of what I call the Girl from Another World subgenre, but in this case, it's a girl from the future. But you'll laugh out loud one moment, and then you'll start crying tears of feels in the next moment. All the characters are enjoyable, even if they may not be the best people. And it's just more proof that the 2010s, in spite of some hiccups here and there, was an overall great decade for anime. Yeah, that was a 2010s beast mode of a decade. Indeed, and 2018 was just one of those years that proved why. So, that's gonna do it for Hinamatsuri. Next time, much like Hina in this episode, we're going back in time. Way back in time. All the way to 1971 to take a look at the birth of an anime icon. When we take a look at the first ever anime series of Lupin the Third, otherwise known as Green Jacket Lupin. So until then, this is Otaku Nate. This is Justin Young. And I'm William. Good night, everyone. Sign off, Chris. Oh, good night. No, no, you just, you just say. <laughs> no, no, you leave it as that. <laughs> that's the very last thing that's said. <laughs> Too bad, because I get the last word. And we're signing off and saying, I die! Yeah.